Hello and welcome to FBC West Bible study on the Psalms 23, part 4. We've been taking a close look over a number of weeks on this psalm. As I said at the beginning, we are so familiar with this psalm that oftentimes we just rush through it because we are familiar with it. And so the purpose is to plumb the depths of it. But I'm hoping and praying more that as we go through it week by week, you will con continue to meditate on it and consider it to study in other areas where the scriptures are. And I hope you've started or have accomplished memorizing this psalm. Uh, this psalm is a very personal psalm. Uh, David, as a psalmist, it was a, a song, if you will. And it's so personal that 17 times in six verses, David says, me, I, or my. It's the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's very personal. And my hope is that this psalm becomes very personal to you. Just not the, the word of God, which it is, but it's important because it is personal. And I hope it's not only personal to you, but that you teach it to your children and your grandchildren, that it becomes personal to them. And so David starts out again saying that the Lord is my shepherd. He starts off this psalm with the uh, motif or um, theme or analogy that the Lord is the shepherd of his life. He leads him and protects him and provides for him. And then the other four verses that follow after that give testimony to what the Lord does as the shepherd, that he uh, leads, that he guides, that he restores, uh, that he makes lie down. So he does all of this. And then at the very darkest time, he says that he doesn't fear evil. And the reason for that is that he goes from God being the he talking about God, either to us or to others, is that he now says you. It's personal. He's addressing God. Before it was God does, and now he's talking about what God does to God. Oftentimes we take a look at worship songs and we sing worship songs thinking that sometimes songs of edification are worship songs and they're not really worship songs. They're songs that encourage people or uplift people. And then there are some worship songs, but in reality, the worship is about he does these things and he's awesome and he's great. And in this, I'm hoping that you start taking it a little more personal and so that when you worship and then when you talk to God, it's not he as if he is afar off, but you. You are there. You are present in my life. I don't fear because I know you will provide for me, that you will protect me, that you will do what you promise to do. And now starting with verse uh, 5, David is going to change the 
motif or the theme or the analogy. So if you will, it's almost like a second verse. And he's going to go from the Lord being his shepherd to the Lord being a host, to being someone who is there to make sure that the guests are well taken care of. And so in verse 5, it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So again, he starts off this verse with you. He's talking to God. He's understanding that it is God who is the host, uh, that that God, that the King and the Lord of heaven and earth has done what he's doing. He says he's prepared. Prepare basically means that you do something uh, of, with a forethought, that you do it with planning and execution. And so when you invite people over for Thanksgiving or an Easter or whatever uh, meal, you usually invite a number of people and family, and then people will uh, set the table, will prepare the table. And one of the times that we take the opportunity to teach our children about manners and etiquette is we have them learn to set the table. And so in essence, David is saying, you, God, are setting or preparing a table for me. It's there where we are to gather to eat. Now, in Middle Eastern custom, one of the most intimate things that you could do would be to eat with someone, to provide and, and, and share a meal. And so, in essence, God is a host, and he's prepared this table. Jesus will take a look next week that Jesus also prepares other things for us. But at this point, the psalmist is talking about that the Lord is preparing or has prepared a table so that we're there to fellowship and to dine with him. Uh, the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 4 says, he has brought me to his banquet hall or to his banqueting table, and his banner over me is love. So there's that sense, if you will, that when we have been invited by the host who is God to this table, it is not as um, a disinterested person or someone that you're required to invite because that's what decency or etiquette does. That God has prepared this table and that his banner over us is love. It isn't obligation. And it says, so that he prepares a table before me, which means that that table is in front of me. It's before me. It's there for me, but it's in front of me. And again, he reemphasizes that this preparation and this table is for him, for you. And it is God who is doing the hosting. And it says, in the presence. In the presence, which means where who is going to be discussed is. They're not outside the presence. They're in the presence. Now, what we tend to think and when run by is, I think we tend to look at this verse incorrectly because we tend to think of it this way. You prepare a table before me in your presence. But that's not what it says. It's saying that God is the host of this banquet, that he has invited you, and that he set the table, prepared the table 
for you, but it's in the presence of my enemies, not God's enemies, not other enemies, but that table is in the presence of my enemies. All too often, we tend to think that God just eliminates or gets rid of the people who are opposed to us, and that therefore that's when we're in peace because we've been we've eliminated all opposition. But I want to remind you that Jesus was frequently invited as a guest at lunches and dinners by Pharisees and others. And they didn't do so because they thought he was the Messiah or that they were truly interested in who he was, is. But they had opposition or they wanted to find some fault with him or that they wanted to to change who he is. And so Jesus oftentimes dined in the presence of those who opposed him. And so the awesome thing here is God has prepared this table for us even in the presence of our enemies. Now, the one thing that I also want us to take notice of is that even though we're in the presence of our enemies, we shouldn't concentrate on our enemies. God has invited us to his table, that he's the host of this. And we lose so much if what we do is concentrate on those who are not at the table, but who are enemies and we're so worried about them or that we're so concerned about them or we're so concentrated on them instead of the blessings of being a guest at the table of God. So I encourage you to understand that God doesn't always eliminate all of your enemies, or maybe he may not even eliminate any of them, that perhaps what he wants you to do is sit at his table understanding that he's got it, that he's there, that he's a good host, and that we should concentrate on what our host is doing and not on what the enemies are doing, because then we lose out on the blessings. Because enemies are those who want to harm me or defeat me. But God's taking care of that. He has the victory over all our enemies. And as the scripture says, the last enemy is death. And he's conquered that as well. And so we go and he goes on and says, what is it that we are doing at this table? So it continues on and says, you, again, it's God, the God of the heaven and the earth. The host is going to do the following. Have, which is past tense. It's already taken place. Have anointed. Anointed has a number of different views. One is that you're simply pouring a substance over somebody. Also anointed has the concept of being elected to do something like, for instance, um, uh, when a person says that they are now a pastor or whatever, that they feel that they are anointed by God, that they've been designated and chosen by God to do that. And the other aspects of anointed is the view that the Holy Spirit falls upon someone. And so that this here says that you have anointed my head with oil. Again, oil is viewed as one, as a, the Holy Spirit, and also as a healing substance. So you 
hear with me, God, have past tense anointed. Now, the psalmist sings and discusses how God is our host, but I want to show you the difference between how God is host versus how others were hosts of Jesus. In Luke chapter 7, verse 44 through 46, it says, Turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me the water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. You see, in this situation, the Pharisee who had invited Jesus to dine with him was so upset that Jesus was allowing this woman to touch him and to, to be involved and thought, well, if Jesus knew who she was, she, he wouldn't allow her to touch him. And then he corrects his host by saying, you didn't do any of the things that you should have done, but this woman, because of her love, because of the sense of forgiveness, has done these things. And so Jesus' head was not anointed by the Pharisee, but in the psalmist song, it says, the Lord whose host anointed my head with oil. 1 Samuel 16, 12, and 13, to kind of show you the various types of anointment. Said, so he sent and brought him in, and now he was ruddy, and this is David, with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So again, we see that this anointing oil signifies that the Holy Spirit comes. And the Holy Spirit coming signifies that David has been anointed, chosen king by God. We're also told to anoint people. In James chapter 5, verse 14, it says, is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, in this sense, it's both an acknowledgement that we're praying over you and that the Spirit of the Lord will take care of it, but it also oil in this particular case was also a form of medicine. There are very, very different types of oils for different ailments. And in the first century, uh, they used oils oftentimes as medicine. And those of you who may be acquainted with essential oils and others are very familiar with peppermint and all these other different types of oil that people feel give them a sense of well-being or um, body strength. And so, again, there's a sense that the oil has been placed on. And again, it's me. It's my head. It's not someone else. God isn't saying, okay, you sit at the table. And I'm going to make over other people. No, you're sitting at the table, and I'm going, I have anointed your head so that as the oil is placed on the head, it seeps down and covers the body so that we are covered with this oil. 
the healing and anointing of it. And in Psalms 45, 7, it says, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. Are you in that fellowship with God as he's hosting you at the table? Are you rejoicing in his presence? Are you rejoicing in the fellowship of the meal with the Lord? Or are you so concerned with the enemies that you've not noticed that he has anointed you with his oil, that he's found favor upon you, that he has forgiven you, that he has given you healing and the spirit? And so it's the love of righteousness and hatred of wickedness. And then the last line of this verse says, my cup overflows. I want to go back just a second. The scripture says that God himself has anointed our head with oil, which is an awesome concept. God as our host does this. But it's not surprising because at the Lord's Supper, Jesus, the Son of God, God, Emmanuel, God with us, got up and washed the feet of his disciples. We always see Jesus as a servant, as the suffering servant. And his disciples at the time didn't understand and didn't want him to wash their feet, but he said, later you'll understand. If God washed his disciples' feet, and if God, as the host of this banqueting table, has become our servant, if you will, then we should in turn be the servant of his people. So then again we're going back it says my cup overflows. Again, it's my, it's personal. It's not boy that person's getting a lot of uh, fluid and that person it's no no, my cup. It's my cup usually holds liquid. It's 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 something that we hold but and so Jesus using a cup in Matthew chapter 26, 27, it says this. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. So we see Jesus at the last Passover instituting the Lord's Supper. And he passes a cup for that they might fellowship in him. But it also means an event. And to... To share that event, to give you some concept, Matthew 26, the same chapter, verse 39, says this, and he, that was Jesus, went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus is understanding that sometimes a cup can represent judgment. Sometimes it can represent the blood of Christ. 
and sometimes it could represent joy and those types of things. So at this banquet, there is this cup that is placed before us that is ours. And then in Psalm 116, I'm sorry, Psalm 16, verse 5, it says, The Lord is a portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. So this cup, this event, is in essence the Lord containing my portion and my inheritance. What I receive is entirely based on the Lord and His. And then in Psalms 116, 12, and 13, it says, What shall I return to the Lord for all His goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. So again, this cup represents a cup of salvation. It can be a cup of joy. It can be a cup of judgment. It can be a cup of inheritance. All of those things. But notice what the cup has in it. The cup overflows. See, God is never stingy with his blessings. When God gives us joy, he gives us so much joy we can't contain it. When he gives us salvation, he gives us so much so much salvation that we can't contain it. It covers all of our sins, all that we've all done, all that our indiscretions, wickedness, because he is overflowing in his generosity as a host. He gives not a little bit, usually using a family situation when we have family over and we have children, whether it's grandchildren or whatever, we have a tendency to when we give them their cup to put a little bit in it because we think, well, they might not drink at all. So we don't want to waste anything. And so if they want more, then we'll give them more later. But not so with God. God doesn't say, well, that's all Joe needs right now. I know he won't drink at all. And so I'll give him just enough that he'll drink. No, no. My cup overflows. It just runs over. doesn't matter how much I am going to drink because it's more than enough. And the awesome thing is with God is he doesn't just stop there. If we were to drink the entire cup, he would overflow it again and overflow it again and overflow it again because our God, is not a stingy God. He's a God who blesses his children. He knows what's good for them. He knows how to provide for them. And when he does so, he does with abundance. As the scripture says, we should, when we ask him, let him do, because he will do far beyond what we are able to think or even imagine. That's kind of how God is. And so he invites us to this table. He hosts it. He doesn't prepare it and doesn't have his servants prepare. It's you prepare a table for me. That's why I say this psalm is so awesome. We just read by it because we're familiar with it. But think about it. God, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipotent, 
the God of love, the God who is holy, 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 invites you to a table that he holds. That he anoints your head with oil. He provides a cup for you that overflows with blessing and goodness and joy and salvation. So how can we not lift that cup and acknowledge that and call on his name? And so I, again, I encourage you to meditate on this verse, to memorize all of it. Because I know that as you come to think on it and to meditate on it and to memorize it, you'll see more and more of the richness. And then from that, maybe some of the other scriptures that we get so used to because they're so often quoted that we forget just how rich they are, just how much God loves us, just how much God does for us. And in turn, maybe we should think more about being like him. If he is willing to wash feet, if he is willing to serve at a table, maybe it just doesn't matter that there are some enemies there. Don't think about that. Think about the blessing of being invited to the table, served and prepared by God. Thank you.